I love that scene from U571. My wife likes it because Matthew McConaughey's in it. But uh, I like it because it, it, it points to a principle in leadership. As a leader, you have to be decisive. You have to make decisions. Sometimes you have imperfect information, but you have to go with what you know and make a decision. And all of our decisions have consequences. As we can see, for a submarine commander or captain, those decisions can be fatal. But many of our decisions and choices in life aren't necessarily quite so significant. For instance, today at lunch, I could order a salad or I could order a Monte Cristo deep fried sandwich with jelly dip. Now, the salad will probably make me feel healthy and good, but the Monte Cristo, well, it's just plain good. And if I eat it, I'll probably want a nap and my belt might be a little bit tighter later. But those are choices with consequences. Every decision we make has consequences, does it not? You know, when we're young, we have to make all kinds of of choices. Uh, When you're young, you're having to decide, you know, am I going to play soccer uh, this fall or am I going to play flag football? Or when we get to high school, am I going to play football or am I going to be in the band? Am I going to do debate or am I going to do drama or am I going to do both? Am I going to play soccer or am I going to play basketball? Life is full of choices and every choice we make has its consequences. As we get older and prepare to graduate from high school, we have to make the decision, am I going to go to college? And if so, which college will I go to? If we go to college, then we have to decide, what am I going to study? What will be my major? What will be my minor? What will I do in the summer? Where might I get an internship? Where will I work after school? Life is full of choices, isn't it? As we continue age, we have to make the decision, am I going to get married? Who will I marry? If you actually get married, you have to decide, will we have children? If so, how many children will we have? When do we want to start trying to have children? If we're unable to have children, will we adopt? Life is full of choices, isn't it? And every choice, every decision we make has consequences. As we get older, we near retirement, we have to ask ourselves, when will I retire Where do I want to live during retirement? How will I manage my investments in the midst of retirement? Life is full of choices. So how can we make sure that we always make wise choices? That's what this sermon series is really all about, the way of wisdom. Life is full of choices. We want to choose wisely. And to do so, we've been looking at the story of King Solomon. If you've been with us the last two weeks, you know that we've been looking at the story of King Solomon. King Solomon was the son of King David, viewed in, in the history of Israel as the wisest king who ever held the throne in Jerusalem. And King Solomon was wise because when he was still just a young man, he asked God for wisdom. And God made Solomon wise. And so under his wise leadership, the, the nation of Israel flourished. There was great, great wealth and great riches. There was peace all along its borders. So that we might have the wisdom of God and make wise choices as well. We've been looking at the story of King Solomon and those books that are credited to King Solomon. Last week, Kim Talley looked at the Song of Songs. This week, we're going to look at Ecclesiastes. Next week, we'll look at Proverbs To see how we can make wise choices in light of eternity, I would encourage you to open your Red Pew Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 12, beginning with verse 8. It may be found on page 711 of your Red Pew Bible, Ecclesiastes chapter 12, beginning with verse 8. I would encourage you to keep your Red Pew Bible open throughout the message as I make reference to the text in other chapters in Ecclesiastes as well. 
a little bit of background on Ecclesiastes. Uh, historically, we, it's been understood that, that Solomon wrote Ecclesiastes later in his life after he had accumulated much wealth and been very successful and built many buildings. These are his final reflections on all life had to say. To hear what those words are, please turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 12, beginning with verse eight, the final chapter of Ecclesiastes. But before I read God's word, let's call upon his spirit again to guide us in the reading and preaching of his holy word. Please join me as we pray. Gracious and loving God, I thank you so much that you have inspired the authors of scripture to put pen to paper that we might have your written word today, words of wisdom. So God, as we turn to Ecclesiastes, a part of the wisdom literature of the Bible, we pray you might give us wisdom and insight to to hear from you, to know what it is you would have us do in light of these words. O Lord, may the words of my lips and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your holy sight. Through your son's precious name we pray and all God's people said, amen. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, beginning with verse eight. Listen to the word of the Lord. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. All is vanity. I wanna pause there just for a moment. That is actually a a repeated line throughout Ecclesiastes. In fact, the author of Ecclesiastes begins uh, the book in chapter one, verse two, by saying, vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Now, the Hebrew word that's uh, translated as vanity there is hebel, hebel. It can also be translated as meaningless. In fact, the NIV says meaningless, meaningless, all is meaningless. Now, if you're feeling depressed, Ecclesiastes may not be the book you want to go to first. (laughs) It could maybe make you even more depressed. Or will it? As we continue to read Ecclesiastes, you'll see that While the author opens up with this depressing line, vanity of vanities, all is vanity, he also begins to find some moments of joy that in light of eternity, there is joy. You see, the Hebrew word for uh, vanity or meaningless called hebel, hebel actually literally means vapor or mist. It's it's difficult for us to translate in English, and so the, the English translators, in trying to help get the sense of the meaning of its context and what it's trying to say, is that all is meaningless. It's in light of eternity, everything is temporal. It doesn't really last. It's a chasing after the wind, and so everything is hebel. But in light of meaningless, you'll find that still there is joy. We find this in Ecclesiastes chapter two, verses twenty-four to twenty-six. After reflecting on his life and all that he has built and all that he has made and all the silver and gold that he has obtained, the author of Ecclesiastes has these words for us. Ecclesiastes 2, 24 to 26. There's nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting, only to give to the one who pleases God. This also is vanity, or hebel, and a striving after the wind. Notice that he has found that the best thing for us to do is to to find joy in our toil. And he says the one who is with God can find joy in his toil, but the one who is not with God will live a meaningless life. They will strive to earn and obtain things that ultimately they have to give to another when they die. It's Ecclesiastes deals with the reality that this life is temporal. Death comes for all of us, both rich and poor alike. 
And so how are we called to live in light of eternity? How can we make sure that we have joy in our labor, in our toil, in our work that God has given to us to do? Do you have joy in your labor? Do you have joy in all the activities that you do today? I'm reminded that when I was a consultant at Pricewaterhouse in Dallas, uh, you know, I was working with oil and gas clients like Mobil and Chevron, Emirate Hess and Texaco, and, and I enjoyed working with them. And we had an accounting software called Premas Plus. It was kind of like the TurboTax for oil and gas clients. So if you ever use TurboTax, the software that helps you do your taxes, uh, what this software would do is it would take from the valuation of the oil well, it would do all the journal entries necessary for writing royalty checks to the various landowners. It was a very complex software, but every year we would do an update and upgrade, and I got to work with the clients to talk about how to make it user-friendly and how to make it as easy as possible, and I enjoyed those interactions with the clients. I even enjoyed doing the occasional upgrade, but sometimes there would be a problem. After we let out a 2.0 or 3.0, there would be a new problem, and I'd have to go fix somebody's problem. And I found that work very tedious because I'd have to actually go back and look at the code that was written and try to decipher why there's a mistake with the software. And I hated doing that. Do you always love what you do? Sometimes in our jobs, there are things we just have to do because it has to get done. Yet in Ecclesiastes too, we read that, well, that God has given us work as a gift and that we should find joy in all of our toil. How is it possible to find joy in all of our toil? Let's keep reading Ecclesiastes chapter 12, picking up again with verse nine. Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads and like nails, firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. My son, be aware of anything beyond these. Of making many books, there is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Here ends the reading of God's word as the prophet Isaiah tells us the grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our Lord stands forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I'll look again at verse 13 of the text I just read. The end of the matter, all has been heard. When he thinks about all of his life and all that's been said with all the wisdom that has been accumulated, it comes down to this. Fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man. Fear God and keep his commandments. Let's say that together. Fear God and keep his commandments. If anyone asks you what was the sermon about today, you say, fear God and keep his commandments. Those are the... Now, did you know that in the Old Testament, there are 613 commandments? Does anybody have all those memorized? I can't imagine trying to keep track of 613 commandments. And, and Solomon writes Ecclesiastes with the Old Testament in mind. Fear God and keep those 613 commandments. How could we possibly keep 613 commandments? I don't even know all of the commandments. I've read them, but I don't remember them. Well, fortunately for us, as Janie pointed out in our New Testament text, uh, when Jesus was asked what is the most important rule, law in all of the, uh, the Bible, he quoted the Shema, which we find in Deuteronomy chapter six. And in Matthew 22, Jesus takes all 613 commandments and he narrows it down to two. Love God and love your neighbor. Easy, right? 
Just two commandments, love God and love your neighbor. Easy, easy to do, right? Have you met our neighbors? <laughs> I mean, sometimes our neighbors can be frustrating. Sometimes our coworkers can be frustrating. Sometimes our classmates can be frustrating. Sometimes they can be outright mean. I mean, it can be hard sometimes to love our, our neighbor. How can we make sure that we're loving God well and, and loving our neighbor as God calls us to do? Because we can see in, in verse 14, every deed is going to be brought into judgment. We've got to keep these commandments. So how can we make sure that we're doing that well? How can we make sure that we're loving God as we're called to love him? I believe the answer is actually found in Ecclesiastes chapter three. Let's turn there in your Bibles if you can. Ecclesiastes chapter three, just to the left a little bit. Now, if you've ever heard the song, Turn, Turn, Turn by the Birds, do you guys remember that song in the 1960s? I wasn't alive then, but I've heard the song. Good song, uh, and, and it may sound familiar to you. Uh, I'll, I'll sing a little bit here. There, a time to born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to pluck, a time to kill, a time to heal. I can't sing like they did, but the point of it is, there's a season for everything under heaven. And as you read Ecclesiastes chapter three, you're gonna say, wow, this sounds very familiar. It's from the birds. Actually, it's from Ecclesiastes. They stole it from us. But all that to say, as the author thinks about the fact that there's all different kinds of seasons, they come and they go, seasons continue to come and go, different seasons in our life, he writes these words in Ecclesiastes chapter, 11, chapter, three, chapter three, beginning with verse 11. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he's put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people might fear before him. Notice that as we think about the different seasons and how seasons come and go and how temporal this life really is, ultimately it begins to turn our hearts towards eternity. For in verse 11 he says he, he's put eternity into every man's heart. And so if we wanna be wise and if we wanna find joy in our work, then we need to work and live in light of eternity. Recognizing that as verse 14 tells us, whatever God does endures forever. Whatever God does endures forever. What man does is temporal, but what God does endures forever. And so how can we live our lives in such a way with, with our minds set on eternity that ultimately we seek to love God and bring glory and honor to God? In the 17th century, in Paris, in a Carmelite monastery, there was a man named Brother Lawrence who used to wash dishes in the kitchen a very menial task. In fact, he had to wash the dishes and he had to clean the floor. And yet, Brother Lawrence had incredible joy and peace. He was often and all, almost always exhibiting the fruits of the spirit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control as you read in Galatians chapter five. His Brother Lawrence was so attractive and he had such joy even doing the most menial tasks in a monastery that people began to come to him for wisdom and insight. In fact, there was a book called Practicing the Presence of God. It's not actually written by Brother Lawrence because Brother Lawrence was illiterate, but it was written by someone who interviewed Brother Lawrence. And they asked Brother Lawrence, how is it that you can do your job with such joy? I mean, this is the most menial task inside of all the monastery. I do dishes and I hate it. Who likes doing dishes, right? And he said, 
Brother Lawrence said that every day I practice the presence of God by making the choice that I will do everything for the love of God. I will wash these dishes for the love of God. I will mop this floor for the love of God. I will take out the trash for the love of God. I will do everything for the love of God. He said, we'll look at life in light of eternity and all that God has done for us. Then we will be compelled to do things for the love of God. And as we seek to do everything for the love of God, we will find joy even in the most menial of tasks, even the most difficult, even the most straining of tasks. When I was a consultant, um, again, at Price Waterhouse, and I had to debug a program and fix someone else's problem, you know, I was very frustrated initially that I had to do this, but what I would do is I would go into my office, and I'd put in my headphones, and I would listen to praise music, and I listened to worship music. I found great joy, and I found my heart was turned to praise of God. Even though I'm working on trying to debug a program and looking at this difficult code, I could find that my spirit was lifted, and I, I began to thank God for the job that I had that provided money that I needed to pay my bills and to save up money for this engagement ring for my girlfriend named Sarah that I was trying to marry at the time. Yes, God was so good. The next time you have to do a task that maybe you don't want to do or, or you find that you've got to do something around the house or, or something at your work that you don't really enjoy doing, try, do, try doing it to praise music if you're able or simply sing the doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him all creatures here below. Praise him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Doesn't that feel good? It feels good just to praise God, right? Just in the midst of that menial task, in the midst of hard work, that's when we'll find joy as we look at life in light of all eternity. Yes, we need to make the choice every day. The wisest choice we can make in this life is to do what Brother Lawrence did, to make the choice to do everything for the love of God. As we seek to do everything for the love of God, we are fulfilling the greatest commandment, to love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Of course, sometimes when we face choices, uh, choices can both be honoring to God. You know, we always wanna make sure that if I have a decision to make, and I look at two choices, I wanna make the choice that will honor God. And so if there's a choice that doesn't honor God, I shouldn't do that. For instance, um, if I make the choice that I'm going to eat a bunch of junk food and sit on the couch watching football, well, that doesn't really honor God to eat the junk food, right? Because that makes me fat and that doesn't care, take care of my body. But if I'll make the choice to be healthy, eat healthy food and to exercise, well, then I'm honoring God by taking care of the body God has given to me, uh, which is the body, it's the te temple of the Holy Spirit, according to the Apostle Paul. Or, you know, when I'm a young student and I'm in school, if I make the choice not to do my homework or not to pay attention in class, I'm not really honoring God by making that choice because I'm not taking care of the mind and growing the mind that God has given to me. But if I'll make the decision to do my homework and, and to do the best I can with, with what God's given me, then I'm honoring God by making that choice. Or if I'm at work and I'm asked to do something that I don't like to do, I can make the choice to grumble to my boss or to grumble to my coworkers, or I can make the choice to humbly submit and with joy serve others as if I was serving the Lord as Paul calls us to do in Colossians uh, chapter four. Yes, all of life is full of choices. And when we face choices, we wanna make the choice that's going to honor God. 
But sometimes, sometimes both choices can honor God. And, and so we've got to discern what is God calling me to do? Reminds me of, of when uh, David Mullen and the search committee approached me. I was an associate pastor at Highland Park Presbyterian Church in Dallas. I was the missions pastor there. I was actually working with my best friend, the best man at my wedding, Jay Lee, who was the young adults pastor. I was working under the uh, senior pastor, Ron Skates, who was really a spiritual mentor to me. He was my wife's youth pastor in San Antonio many years ago. He did our wedding, and uh, he was a great mentor to me while I was in seminary. I had a great job. I really enjoyed what I was doing, but then the search committee approached us, and, and we prayed about it, and we were trying to discern, what is God calling me to do? Well, to stay at Highland Park Presbyterian Church, which is a great church, that, that would have honored God, but to come here would, would to honor God as well, and so we had to ask, Lord, what do you want me to do? Well, when the search committee approached me and said, you know, we, we feel like God's calling you to come here, I asked specifically, I said, well, is it unanimous? And they said, yeah, it was, and I said, well, great, I need to know that, because that's a confirmation from the body of Christ that this may be God's will. But I said, I've got to spend a day fasting and praying about this to make sure I know that this is God's will for, because it's a big decision to, to leave a, a town where you have many of your friends and, and some of your family members. And so I took a day to fast and pray. And I found that if you really want to hear the voice of God, that still, small whisper of God, you need to spend time alone with God. Not only praying, but I have found it most helpful to fast. Now, if you're medically able to fast and you've never done it before, I would encourage you to try a 24-hour fast. The best way I found to do it is to have a, a large lunch, then skip dinner and skip breakfast, and then end your fast with a lunch the next day. And during that time, you would normally be eating, spend time praying, meditating, and feasting on the word of God. So I was praying, Lord, do you want us to go to First Pres Amarillo to, to be the pastor there? And as I was praying and meditating on scripture, you know, I wish I, I could tell you that I found this verse that said, Howard, go to Amarillo, but Howard and Amarillo are not in the Bible. I had to just listen. And so I prayed and I fasted. And I listened. And immediately I didn't hear anything. But as I continued to fast, and I continued to pray, and I continued to ask God, Lord, do you want us to go to Amarillo? In the stillness and quietness of those moments, I heard the Holy Spirit impress upon my heart the word, go. I wanted to confirm this. So I said, Lord, is it Amarillo? You want me to go to Amarillo? Go. Now, God doesn't usually speak to me in long paragraphs. It's usually like one word or he'll impress a thought on my heart or a, or a word or a sentence on my mind, and that word was go. And so we called the search committee, and we were so grateful, and things worked out, all the details of finances. And if you remember in 2010, we were coming out of the recession of 2008, and the real estate market had crashed in Dallas, and I was really worried about whether or not I could sell my house. What well, was amazing, I sent out a blast email to all the staff at Highland Park Press and said, do any of you all know a realtor who could help me sell my house? And one of my church fellow staff workers contacted me and said, actually, Howard, I want to buy your house. I said, perfect. No realtor. Saved on the fees. Broke even on the whole thing. Very grateful for God's provision. Do you know what God's calling you to do? When you face choices, and all of life is full of choices, the wisest choice we can do is to make the decision that Brother Lawrence did, to do everything for the love of God. And when you face choices that both seem like they could honor God, well, then pray and fast and spend some time in solitude and silence and, and check with the body of Christ and meditate on God's word and see what God impress upon your heart, what choice you should make. Because as we think about the greatest commandment of loving God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, 
we have to recognize that we love God because, well, he first loved us. As you read in 1 John chapter 4, verse 10, and this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation or atonement for our sins. God and his great love for us. And, and King Solomon, he, he knew that God loved him, but he couldn't possibly begin to understand how much God really loves us all because Jesus, a descendant, a direct descendant of King Solomon, came many centuries later. And Jesus, God's one and only son, came to this earth to do for us what we can never do for ourselves. He lived in perfect obedience to all 613 commandments. And then he died as the perfect sacrifice for our sins so that we could be reconciled to God once and for all so that we could have a right relationship with God. It's in the last verse of the text I read in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 14. It says, for God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. We were to fear God and keep his commandments, but to know that judgment is coming. And initially that can make us very fearful, but because of Jesus, we don't have to be afraid. For John the apostle goes on to write in 1 John 4, verse 18, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Jesus has borne the punishment for us, so we don't have to live in fear. We can live in peace and shalom, knowing that God is with us. And through faith in Christ, actually God is in us. God to guide us in every choice we make, in all of our choices. May we seek to honor God, to do everything for the love of God and for the love of our neighbor. After all, that's how Jesus made his most important decision. It was the love, his love for our heavenly father and his love for all of us that took him to the cross so that he might pay the price for our sins, so that he might conquer sin and death on the third day with his resurrection so that we might all be saved. Please join me as you pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you so much that you're the God who loves us with an unconditional sacrificial love. And we see that we are called to fear you, revere you, and to keep your commandments. And we can see that the greatest commandment according to Jesus is to love you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love our neighbors, ourselves. So Lord, by your spirit, give us wisdom in every choice we make, that we might do everything as Brother Lawrence did for the love of God. As we make those choices to love you, Lord, to do our work for the love of God, to care for our neighbor for the love of God, Lord, that you might be glorified and honored in those decisions. And when we face decisions that both seem to be honoring to God, Lord, give us insight, give us wisdom, help us to be still, to know that you're God, to hear your still, small voice, that we might hear your word and we might obey. We pray this in the strong and precious name of your Son, who is the Christ, and all God's people said, amen.